The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Tech Cat Show with host Lori H. Schwartz. Each week we hear from established leaders in the technology and consumer industry. Finding out the scoop should never be this much fun. Now, here is your host, Lori H. Schwartz. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tech Cat Show. It's so great to be here. Tech trends impacting your business. And as always, I'm bringing you fabulous guests to give you insights about what's happening in our world. And today is no different. We have the fabulous Jim Lauterbach, who I'm calling the curator. And Jim is a well-respected media executive and has his hands in some of the hottest growing areas in the media and entertainment space. And in fact, he's currently running partnerships for an online video creation platform called Watch It and is also a venture partner at Social Starts and is doing so much more. So we're going to get school today in what's happening in the world of online video from multi-channel networks, YouTube, and all the fabulous things that are happening in what is the future of television, um, as many people are calling it. So let's have a big hand for Jim Lauterbach. Ladies and gentlemen, let's hear it. Yay! Yay! Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Jim. How's it going? It's going great. It's great to be here with you, Laurie. Well, I want to hear a little bit about your background because uh, you really you launched a whole network, sold it, and have a really exciting history that sort of sets the stage for where you're going with everything today. So, can you give us a little sense of your background? Yeah, and I'll start even before that. I um, I, I sort of fell into media. I was a programmer and a developer, and answered an ad in the New York Times to run a test lab at a magazine. The magazine's no longer with us. It was called PC Week. And I was like, yeah, it sounds like fun. I'll go do that. And, um, and, and that started my uh, sort of experiences with media. So I worked in magazines um, at this company, Ziff Davis, helped start a cable network, the first cable network about technology, which was called ZDTV. It then became Tech TV. We built it, sold it to Paul Allen. That was all well and good. Uh, and then I got bored. So I went off to go, uh, ended up being editor-in-chief of PC Magazine, uh, and this was in, in, in you know, 2004, 2005, 2006, and magazines were very much in a transition at that time. We started launching a bunch of online video stuff to go along with what we were doing uh, at the technolo- on the technology side. And, and through that, I connected up with some guys that worked for me at Tech TV, and they had just launched a, an online video network called Revision 3. And um, it, it came out at about the time that the iPod first started uh, supporting video. And they were like, we're raising money. You want to come be CEO? And I said, sure, why not? That sounds like fun. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so I did that. We went from being very iTunes-focused to being uh, focused on YouTube to being a multi-channel network or an MCN, um, seeing some great success there at selling it off to uh, Discovery Communications, Discovery Channel, and those guys, um, where I stayed for a few years and launched a whole bunch more networks for them. So when you say, just in case some of our audience doesn't really understand this world, what is a multi-channel network? Sure. A multi-channel network type of uh, company is kind of built up around YouTube as YouTube got bigger. They're companies that may or may not create their own video and their own programs and run their own channels on YouTube. But what they really do is go out to lots of other independent creators and bring them in under the corporate structure and the corporate umbrella of that company. So for example, at Revision 3 we uh, made a bunch of programs on our own, Dignation and Techzilla and other wildly popular programs. But because we were more folks in the technology and the video game space uh, and the young men space, we went out and found independent creators who were also making great shows, Techno Buffalo, Soldier Knows Best, uh, and a whole bunch of others. And we didn't hire them or acquire them, but they became part of Revision 3, and they all 
bubbled up to our overall view count. We ended up selling all of them together um, to various different brands. And so a multi-channel network at its core is a network that manages multiple different channels on YouTube and now on lots of other online video sources, um, but doesn't necessarily own any or many of them. So if I were to you know, go onto YouTube and type revision three, is that how I would find all of these different shows? Not really. I mean, it, it exists at a level where, um, where, and, and all everyone's different. But you have some MCNs that have hundreds of thousands, or maybe not hundreds, maybe ten thousand, twenty thousand different independent creators inside their umbrella, and it's really hard to put all ten thousand channels in one place. So we, you know, Revision Three existed as a company, but uh, and we did. I think we did have a channel on YouTube for a while. We may still, um, but. It's really going out to the individual creators. That's what's important. So it's it's a it's a network in concept and in organization and in digital data, but not like a destination per se. Yeah, think of it like Viacom. I mean, you're not going to go onto your your cable box and tune in Viacom, but you will go look at MTV or Nickelodeon. Um, and in this particular case, you're not going to go to YouTube necessarily look at Revision Three or Maker or Full Screen, which are other multi-channel networks. Instead, you'll look for uh, Techno Buffalo or Dignation or, or Techzilla or Soldier Knows Best or uh, any of those other channels. So you'll go to the show, right? And, yeah. or, and- well, it's more of a channel because it's interesting. This is, it's a little confusing, but if you think about it, multi-channel network has a bunch of YouTube channels underneath it at its purest YouTube form. It's much broader now. And then each of those YouTube channels may have one or more shows associated with the channel. So a lot of them just have one show on the channel, one thing. But over time, we've seen more and more of these channels have multiple shows and run multiple shows inside that channel. I, I mean, I, get, I always thought it was really fascinating that people, the discovery aspect of finding this, because there is so much content online now. So, you know, search and all that is so key to all of this, right? And finding these great shows and then they bubble up, you know, and it's always blown my mind that they do bubble up because there's so much going on out there. Yeah, you know what we tried to do at Revision 3 was to really have Revision 3 stand for something. It was sort of intelligent, interesting, informative, funny content about technology and video games and and, and culture. And so in every show, we'd run the bug. You know, we'd have a little bit of we'd have a closing little revision three thing that, uh, you know, a little two second thing at the end. That, and in our mind at least, um, and I think we did a good job of this. It, there was a certain quality level, a certain type of content, certain thing you would expect. And if you went to revision three dot com, you would see those shows. Um, we would promote other shows within revision three, and that's another thing that an MCN does really well is it allows you to promote new shows out of your existing shows and your bigger shows to help with that discovery problem because it's so hard to find things on on the internet on YouTube etc but if you're a fan of say the Fine Brothers and um, they have a new show coming out or they're working with somebody else that's a good way to discover it and find new things and then the purchase of revision 3 by discovery was similar to, say, Disney buying Maker and a lot of these other big, well-known, you know, content media companies buying multi-channel networks. And what what was that really about? Why did they do that? Uh, I, they did it for a couple different reasons. I mean, and, you know, one is uh, to learn. I mean, this is a space that grew really rapidly. Suddenly, a lot of these networks, these uh, traditional media companies, started seeing more and more of their audience going and spending time on these new distribution mechanisms, on YouTube, um, on tablets, on their phones. And they saw an erosion in many, in many cases of their existing um, media properties, particularly among 13 to 30-year-olds. And so it was to learn, it was to build new audiences, and it was to you know, get a head start in this new video world that was very different from the world that they'd been playing in. So was it a big change for you to go from sort of building out Revision 3 into a big multi-channel network and then going to work for a more traditional media company like Discovery? You know, I'd, I'd already worked at big media companies, so I kind of knew what to expect. 
Um, I mean, it's, certainly it was a change. It's any anything that happens like that is a change. I mean, you know, one change. You know, we didn't have to worry if we'd have enough money to make payroll. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> let's face it. Discovery is a big, great company, and they were wonderful, uh, wonderful company to work with. And you know, there were a lot of things that were just great about it. Of course, other things as well. You know, suddenly you've got um, more sort of corporate structure that that uh, tends to devolve around particularly in the finance and the accounting and the reporting and, and those areas. So I think if I look at it overall, you know, as a small company, as a startup, you probably spend 80, 90% of your time out looking outwards, looking at your customers, looking at your creators, trying to find new people, trying to see what your competitors are doing, but spending most of your time looking outside the doors of your company. As your company gets bigger and bigger, and I've seen this happen, whether it's startup or not startup, Bigger and bigger, you tend to spend more and more time internally on internal processes and procedures, working together internally with different uh, parts of uh, the company. And part of my job, once um, Discovery acquired us, was really to be the ambassador for Revision 3 to the rest of Discovery. So I found, personally, I was spending a lot more time on internal Discovery issues and less on the external facing, hey, what's our competitors doing? What are we doing? What's going on here? So that's a change, but it's a natural change. I mean, I expected it and and it happened. Because this is really a whole new culture for a lot of the traditional um, media broadcasters who have never really played in this space. So you were really helping them to understand what the opportunities were for, 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 for them to also make revenue with brands in this space, correct? Exactly. And how we could work together and how we could leverage some of what each of us had so to to make the acquisition just as successful as it could be and you know to continue to drive forward the the company overall and were the were the creators okay about this change did they were they impacted by being part of discovery you know um almost completely yes i'll tell you an interesting story one of our uh creators uh internally someone was working one of our internal shows uh, a video game show um when it happened, and then we had uh, the CEO of Discovery, David Zaslov, come in, and he was he was practically tearing up in the when we announced it. And uh, I remember asking, him, "I was like, w- w- what's wrong?" And he's like, you, "You can't believe it! I <laughs> finally tell my dad I work for a real company. He'll be so proud." <laughs> so there was this. I mean, Discovery was absolutely the right company for what we were building. It's funny, you know, we compared our. Because we we did our strategic planning and we you know came up with words that described us and our culture and you know there are six or seven words that that's really described who we were. When we looked at Discovery and started talking about merging with them and started putting our sort of you know those those corporate mission statements against each other, like six of the seven words were the same. So it was a real cultural fit, which was good. Well, we're going to take a break in a moment. But when we come back, I'd love to talk to you about how real is the business in this space? Uh, Because a few weeks ago, we had Rob Champa from Pixability talking to us about programmatic for YouTube. But you're really on the other side of it with the creators and being an ambassador to them and inside of a large media company. So I'd love to find out from you, what are some of the trends that you're seeing on, on that side? And how is this turning into a real business? So we'll be back soon with Jim Lauterbach, the curator on the Tech Cat Show. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The key point of contact between consumers and brands is technology. StoryTech, a boutique agency, empowers you to use that tech to deliver your message, engage your customers, and raise the bottom line. How do you track and exploit the trends? How do you stay ahead of industry disruption? And how do you maximize profit from content? From strategy to execution, the answer is StoryTech. Inform, innovate, create. Visit us at story-tech.com. That's story-tech.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network.
This is the Tech Cat Show with Lori H. Schwartz. If you want to find out more about our show or to leave a comment or question, send an email to lori at techcat.tv. That's lori at techcat.tv. And we're back on the Tech Cat Show with the fabulous Jim Lauterbach, who's really a expert in the multi-channel network space and the video space and has a long history in helping to uh, to build business um, inside of the YouTube space. And so, Jim, what, are, what kind of trends are you seeing in this space? Because you're really dealing with all the creators and you're helping match make them with brands and just really turning this into a business. So are you seeing some some trends bubble up here? Well, you know, there's a lot of stuff happening and continuing to happen in this world. I think one of the things, and we touched on this a little bit before the break with uh, Rob from Pixability and what he's seeing, you know, I think advertising in general is under a lot of pressure. Um, Think about pre-rolls. Do you like pre-rolls? Not really. I don't like (laughs) pre-rolls. Think about all the ad blocking stuff that's going on with Apple. Oh, my God. They're all – everybody I know in New York on the media side is in terror about the media business. Well, and and they should be. I mean, we're shoving this stuff in front of people that is irrelevant, that is not enjoyable, that, I mean, how many times can you see the one weird way to get rid of belly fat before you feel like sticking your finger through your monitor? So, <laughs> but, but with that said, that doesn't mean that advertising is dead. What it means is that we're rethinking it. And, you know, there's a lot of talk also about native ads and native advertising, et cetera. But what I think is really interesting is, and what works really well is when when you look at these creators on YouTube and now other online media platforms that have built really strong communities around themselves. The ones that are most successful are the ones that have built these great communities around them that are that that, that give and take with each other, that have a sense of belonging, that use the online video star or the show as kind of a center point, um, but not necessarily the end all and be all. And the brands that are really intelligent are the ones that that become part of that community, that come in and take a long-term desire to be part of the community and help the community do things that they wouldn't otherwise be able to do. So rather than just you know the, the scattershot approach that we see in so many different branded things where brand comes in and you know fires their stuff all around and does their product placement and blah, 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 and then they're gone. You're like, hey, what happened? That was terrible. <laughs> that... that Compare that to the brand that comes in and says, and I'm going to use Marriott as an example because yes. I think what David Beebe has done has been pretty darn good. But um, I, I saw uh, a Snapchat star, Sean Duras, talking about this a week or two ago. And he said, look, Marriott came to me and said, hey, we want to help you take your fans somewhere. And he turned around and, and we'll take you to any hotel in the world. And he turned around to his fans and said, here's three places that we're going to go. Why don't you vote? Where do you all want me to go so we can all share this experience together? And they did that. And Marriott helped him go. I think it was Bangkok. I can't remember where they actually ended up going. But it wasn't it's just, so smart. you know, I'm going to do a show in Marriott. No, Marriott's going to take this community somewhere that we couldn't go otherwise. And we're going to have a lot of fun doing it. And so – you know, think about the effect Marriott would have had if they had just stuck a bunch of pre-rolls in, instead of in front of a bunch of YouTube stars. So they're doing this with a lot of other people as well on YouTube and other places um, versus actually being a, an integral part of the story that and the community that they build together. And so you know, Purina's done a good job of this and Walmart's done a good job of this and a bunch of other brands have. And that to me in many ways is that future of – advertising in a way that's not intrusive, it's valuable. So, and David Beebe is a really interesting case because he was someone that had a really deep understanding of this space. He had had various jobs in building out networks and then Marriott hired him to run this. How often are you seeing a brand make an investment like that where they hire a industry expert and bring them inside like that? Well, we're seeing it more and more, and I think what you see is that some brands are going out and hiring people in the industry to do it. Others are growing them up themselves and then working with people to help them. So I'll take Purina as an example. Um, Rick Speakerman over at Purina is, you know, he's like a lifer at Purina, I think. But he's over time become a real content expert, and he's really developed great content understanding. He's got a crew around him, but he works with a lot of really good folks as well that have, you know, helped him get there. So um, it, to me, this is absolutely a trend that companies are, need to move to 
And I think David's kind of paving the way as a success story for many other brands to take a look at. Well, I was uh, um, moderating uh, uh, an event the other day with the NAB show about um, just the future of content media, you know, the stuff that we're all just constantly talking about, what we're talking about now. And one of the data points that came out, I think it was from the television advertising bureau, or it may have been the video advertising bureau, and forgive me for uh, mixing the two up because they both do very different things. But one of them stated uh, a factoid, and they said that Millennials are actually watching five times as much traditional broadcast television as they are YouTube, you know, because we're all hearing about how they're all watching YouTube. And this is a data point that they got to from doing real research. Do, do you find that believable? Um, I, I don't know. What I do know is that, you know, we're seeing a lot more screen time occurring across the board. Um, I don't know. That it's seems a crazy that, data point, right? Well, it, it is. It's it's certainly different from what I've observed um, and see. And I, um, but um, you know, it, I haven't seen the research, so it's kind of hard to poke holes in it. Yeah, it's it's. So I guess the larger point is that there's a lot of data points floating out there about what millennials are doing, or what at least you know, the younger demos are doing and how they consume media. And then I always come back to, especially with my work with some of the industry organizations, like what are we calling television? So are you are you finding in your world that online content is finally being ID'd as TV? Well, here's here's the here, – I think we have this problem – not problem. I think we have a, a – um, we mix the, we mix distribution and um, formats. Okay, so when you think about how video is distributed from the creators and the distributors to our eyeballs, it is you know traditionally it was done over the airwaves and then it was done over a cable pipe or a satellite pipe, and those were all analog and then they became digital. And so we had digital cable and digital satellite. So there's ones and zeros going down this proprietary digital pathway to our TVs and our set-top boxes. With the rise of the internet, we now have a digital mechanism coming into our house separate from that that is still a set of ones and zeros. It's a digital pipe. It uses IP rather than the proprietary formats that came out of cable labs or some of the satellite areas and, 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 and encapsulated those bits in a way that could be distributed from point A to point B. Um, from a technology perspective, there is no real difference if um, Survivor is delivered from a head-end uh, at Comcast to a Comcast cable box over a proprietary digital cable infrastructure, or Survivor is delivered from a... Um, uh, from a, a head-end or a box over the internet to your Roku or your iPad and then is converted back into the video that you see. So transmission and distribution are changing. So more and more, well, first it went from analog to digital. Now it's going from these sort of proprietary cable um, mechanisms and satellite mechanisms to more of an IP-based mechanism. And, but it's really no different. So when I look at it that way, is there any difference between watching Survivor on a, via Comcast cable or watching Survivor via CBS's all-access, you know, $6 a month um, service that streams to your, TV, to your PC or to your Roku, I think, soon? What's the difference? Right, right, right. Nothing. Right. So the format, that hour-long format or 46-minute format um, where you have multiple acts and breaks – is a traditional television format. There's the hour format and the half-hour format. Now, take a look at Netflix. Netflix is not delivered via those proprietary old distribution mechanisms. But in the main, most of the formats that they're sending to those set-top boxes and Rokus and PCs and tablets and phones are traditional television formats. Orange is the New Black is no different in its format than Breaking Bad. Right? right, They're right, right. TV formats. And in fact, think about why we have half-hour and hour-long TV formats. It's because before we had you know, set-top boxes and digital, and before we had um, 
computerized things, how do you know when your show came on? Seven o'clock Wednesday night. I've got to watch the wild right. world of sports. Right, it was a discovery mechanism. Exactly. Right, right, so right. the hour and the half hour, we're like, it's on. I got to watch my show at ten o'clock on Thursday. <laughs> I better be home. Right. <laughs> so, so that's so so yeah. So we have these standard TV formats, and we see standard TV formats uh, shows that are standard TV formats being developed by a lot of people. Hulu's developing them. Um, and, and Netflix and Amazon and AOL and, and, and all those guys. Now, when YouTube, and actually is you know, the iPod, the video iPod before that, but as these things started to become popular, we had different formats come out. Dignation, um, one of the earlier shows we did at Revision 3, which was initially distributed via iTunes, was could be 43 minutes long. It could be an hour and 20 minutes. It could be 35 minutes or, you know, it... it in the end, it wasn't bound by those strictures of time, and it was a different kind of format. It was sort of a podcasting video format. YouTube pops along, and we got these new formats coming out of YouTube. We got the vlogging format, where you sit in front of your camera and just talk about the world and what's going on. We've got um, you know, music videos have gone from being a television format on MTV to being in the main a YouTube format with Vivo. And um, look at game streaming on Twitch is a different format. Uh, Vine, the six-second video on Vine is an entirely different format. Snapchat's invented a brand new format of, and a way to tell stories. Oh my God, it's so Instagram hard to keep track. Video. <laughs> I'm just going to go on and on. But the thing that's really interesting is these are all formats and ways to tell stories using video. And one of the things I think is really interesting is these formats are in many ways defined by the platform that they're on. So television, set-top box, uh, HBO, um, Netflix all use that traditional TV format. YouTube owns three or four of its own formats. Um, Vine is its own, but they're defined by the platform. And so we have to differentiate between the format of the stories that we're doing and telling and the way that it's distributed and sent to the glowing rectangles that our eyeballs are attached to. That's a great point to uh, take a little break on, um, really setting the stage uh, for a deeper conversation about where this whole business is going. So that was great clarity. So we're going to hear more from Jim Latterback on the Tech Cat Show. Join us back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The key point of contact between consumers and brands is technology. StoryTech, a boutique agency, empowers you to use that tech to deliver your message, engage your customers, and raise the bottom line. How do you track and exploit the trends? How do you stay ahead of industry disruption? And how do you maximize profit from content? From strategy to execution, the answer is StoryTech. Inform, innovate, create. Visit us at story-tech.com. That's story-tech.com. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. This is the Tech Cat Show with Lori H. Schwartz. If you want to find out more about our show or to leave a comment or question, send an email to Lori at TechCat.tv. That's Lori at TechCat.tv. And we're back with the fabulous Jim Lauterbach and just really schooling us on, on this crazy world and the differences between format and content and distribution. And, and it's really quite fascinating so Jim had the great fortune of curating uh, one of the biggest uh, conferences, not big in size, but I think big in impact in the online video space called VidCon. Um, and Jim curated the industry track this year, ca- kind of famously, because it was the first year that the show, everyone really noticed the business side of, of this world. So can you tell us a little bit about VidCon and what really happened this year? Yeah, and just for background, VidCon started six years ago by two YouTube stars who are vloggers uh, and wanted a way to get together with their audiences, IRL. IRL is in real life. And so they did oh, this. You're so, you're so hip, by the way. 
<laughs> there, that's about as hip as I get. Um, but so they did this conference six years ago in, in LA, and they had about 1,200 people. And at Revision 3, we were sponsors, and so we knew about it. And, um, and then over the, uh, over the subsequent five years, it grew and eventually ended up in Anaheim. And they launched an industry portion of it a few years ago. Um, it was, you know, it started out being just fans and creators getting together and talking and sharing and um, getting these communities together. And as the fan portion grew, the industry portion grew as well. So last year, three tracks, Anaheim Convention Center in, um, in the summer, and it was um, 15,000 fans and a lot of creators that they were fans of, 5,000 creators on a creator track, and then 3,000 on the industry. I put together and ran the industry track, and really it was a lot of really interesting things happening, but pulling together some people from traditional media, people from CBS and, and Headline News, uh, and people from international, like Julien de Poche, who runs one of the biggest media companies in Europe, who had just bought a couple of these big uh, YouTube MCNs, um, to some of the folks who are changing news, to a couple of brands. I mean, some of the brands I also think are doing a great job, L'Oreal and Mountain Dew. I had the folks at those companies who are really thinking content and, and brand uh, and pulling that all together. And, and, and also... And, I brought in a bunch of technology companies doing cool things for the online video space and, and with VR and with a bunch of other areas. And then at the same time, did a bunch of classroom sessions to help people figure out how to get more out of it. And it was, uh, it, it was a great couple of days. People learned a lot. And like any conference, and, and you, know, you know this, um, it's as much about the content itself as the people who go. And people go and they want to reconnect with people and meet new people and figure out what's going on and one of the best compliments I got around VidCon was a guy that I've known for us. You know, it's amazing. I came to this. I never thought this would happen. I just ran into like 10 people that I haven't seen for like six years or eight years. We yeah. all work together and I'm connecting with all these people I haven't seen and I'm meeting all these new people. And these are people who have been in media for a long time. So that was good. We, we kind of brought the old world and the new world together a little bit. Well, I, what blew me away about two years ago, and I, I go every year just as a trendmeister, you know, um, I'm not really doing any business there. I'm just observing as an anthropologist. And um, it's like Beatlemania because I, – and I would love your definition of a creator. And then we also hear the word influencer tossed around a, a lot. But when you had a YouTube creator – you know, walking around who had a lot of fans, they would be running, screaming. These teenagers would be running and screaming after them. And so all over Anaheim, if you stood still, you could potentially get run over by screaming teenagers. It was literally like being at a Beatles concert, you know. Um, so I'd love you to talk about that phenomena. And also, what is the difference between creator and influencer? Because I hear those two expressions sort of intertwined a lot. Yeah, it's a good question. Well, so the so VidCon, because you get a lot of fans of, uh, of these online creators, and it's a lot of uh, millennials and Gen Zs who, you know, in many ways define themselves through their fandoms with these folks. They come there to meet them and to meet each other. But actually, this past year, um, was we did a lot of work at VidCon this past year to make it not be so dangerous. <laughs> I think the yes. year before, there were a lot of people running around, and you'd see like Tyler Oakley walking by, and then all of a sudden, 400 people would be chasing him. Oh, no, it's intense. I mean, it I, it's But intense. we changed that this year. We made it much more um, – it was, it was much calmer and much – but with that said – you do get a sense of that Beatlemania of people who are like, I'm such a big fan and I'm near them and this is great. Um, but so on to the sort of influencer versus creator. I think a creator, and this is, you know, VidCon is really about the creators. It's people who are driven to create, and I'll say media, but driven to create video. It's what they do. They get up in the morning and think about how they're going to tell a great story via video to their audience. They want to create. They want to build. They want to. They just. They just can't stop. And those creators, whether they're you know Twitch streamers and playing video games and doing commentary, or they're vloggers talking about what they're doing, or they're doing the latest beauty tips, or or whatever. They, that's a creator. It's that creativity, that spark, and you just can't stop. Um, I don't know if I'd say all creators are influencers because their creators don't have any audience or very little audience. But an influencer is somebody who has a lot of influence among an audience and might not necessarily be a creator, but uses media that way. So it's, it's, it's a subtle difference. Um, but um, there are people who are very influential who aren't necessarily a creator. So Hillary Clinton is influential. She's not a creator. 
Right, right, right. Um, right. So what, when we think about VidCon, we think about VidCon is for the creators. Now, if Hillary Clinton um, got up and endorsed, um, uh, you know, uh, endorsed Honey Nut cereal, probably sell a lot of Honey Nut cereal. Right? <laughs> yes. Um, it's probably make a lot of other people probably not buy it, but that's another story. Um, and, and, you know, Tyler Oakley, a creator, gets up and does the th- same thing. He's got to sell a lot of cereal, too. So um, both of them are influencers, but only one's a creator. When it comes to um, brands and advertising and, and working together, that's where, you know, if, if it's an influencer and the influencer has a big community around them and you're a brand and you can come in and be part of that community, it can be a very, very successful partnership. I think the craziest thing that I noticed at VidCon, and I think it was not last year, but the year before, was that the actress who had been hired to be in the commercials for Poopourri, which is a product that you spray on top of the toilet water to trap the scent. Um, and th- they had this gr- those great viral video campaigns. And, and she was just an actress and, she, you know, she performed in them and they were really funny and really viral. And she was uh, had a booth, and she was signing autographs. And there was a really long line, and I saw a parent with a kid, and they were all waiting online to sign to get her, her to sign their their piece of paper. And I was blown away by by the fact that this woman was just an actress who just appeared in a viral video, and now she's like a star. Well, look at um, you know I'll give you a couple of other examples as well. We see this in media. Look at Flo from the Progressive Insurance commercial. Oh my God, yes, yes. right, yeah. Um, um, you know, by the way, here's the other example I should use for influencer versus creator. If I'd been smart enough on the draw, look at Grumpy Cat. Grumpy Cat's an influencer. <laughs> he, he is an influencer. You're right. Grumpy Cat's not creating anything. And they're there making, was... and they're pro- selling products too because right. now Grumpy Cat has like you know books and cartoons and all sorts of thing IP dripping out of that that brand it's crazy land out there totally crazy land (laughs) but you know that's the way it goes i mean anyway um you know look at peanuts right yes yes are are their influencers snoopy selling insurance and snoopy always sold insurance but now now it's having this whole new relevance right now he's in 3d yeah, right. No, I, I'm so psyched to go see that movie. No, me too. I just, I'm a big I, Peanuts fan. I am too. And I, uh, you know, we've been trying to show my six-year-old the, uh, you know, the stuff we grew up with. So I think um, she's going to be very excited. But um, so that, that brings up another point. So, you know, there was just a big announcement that PewDiePie, who is the, I guess, the, the biggest YouTube uh, star out there in the sense that he has, I guess it's 40 million subscribers right now. How does that even happen? I mean, why is this guy so big? Well, because he speaks to people and because he's funny. I mean, PewDiePie, everyone's like, PewDiePie, it's just a game. Like, where did that gaming thing? It's crazy. <laughs> but, you know, PewDiePie is, he's, I mean, he's a comedian. I'll put it that way. He's, he's a creator. He's really good at creating, uh, you know, creating in, in video cam- in camera tricks too right he does right yeah but he's you know he's because he's a great personality and because other people liked him and because they shared it because he did stuff that was really shareable um you know that uh that's kind of what it became i mean he's you know he's got that mass appeal but he's he's kind of funny yeah he, he is really funny i mean i was just catching up on on some of his videos and he was just talking about um this was like a month or two ago, and he was talking about how he was leaving Italy. I guess he's making his way from Australia closer to us, but he, he left Italy because the internet was so bad there, and he moved to the UK. That's funny. <laughs> and I was just like, oh my God, that is so is hysterical. But he makes his living uploading videos, and he said it was taking him all day to upload videos. But he, I mean, he's a, he's an example of a YouTube star that's making millions of dollars a year. And he's, you know, 25 years old, I think something. Yeah, like I mean, that. he's very much, he's sort of, I mean, I, it's, it's not a perfect analogy. It's like very Jerry Seinfeld esque, right. You know? Yeah. Yep. It's kind of like a startup, a, a standup comedian, except he's, he's kind of a gaming YouTube comedian. And do you think that he will eventually move even more mainstream like some of these YouTube stars are jumping to the big screen? Um I don't know. I think um uh, if if he, what I think what we are seeing is when you've got a big enough fan base, you can make 
uh, you can make different format content for that fan base, and some of those formats are movies. So we've seen this with um, some YouTube stars who are creating movies. Um, Super Gravity Pictures, for example, is a, a new uh, movie studio designed to facilitate that. You know, these are guys who did um, Camp Dakota and some other movies that, in many ways, I think they went they they went straight to iTunes or something. But so I I, I see it. Is he going to become the next matinee idol? Not so sure about that. Um, I'm not sure PewDiePie has crossover appeal that's going to appeal to you know families and parents and grandparents. But I think there's the audience is huge enough that there's a lot of stuff that you can do there. And uh, are advertisers flocking to him? Is that how he's making all of his money? I that I don't know. But if they're not, they're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I know we had um, Kevin Beggs from Lionsgate on uh, about a month ago, and he was telling us that Lionsgate is making deals with Freddie Wong and other folks in the YouTube space because they understand they have to play there too. Are you seeing more and more of that happen as well? Totally. And look, Freddie Wong is an amazing creator. Um, and, you know, he's a guy who is a great filmmaker who can make that jump big time. But yeah, you have to. I mean, look, if you're if you're putting out a movie and you want to appeal to people in their teens and 20s, because that's the base of people who go to a movie and when it first is released – you better go to the places where they're spending their time consuming media and you better incorporate the people that they look up to and that they trust for making recommendations about things. I think it's going to also be interesting to see what happens with the generation under the millennials, which I'm calling the plurals just because my friends at MAGID define them as the first pluralistic society, non-white majority society. But I, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with them because their behaviors are already different. And, Absolutely, and are yeah. you are you seeing that already? Definitely. I mean, and, and I, you know, I, I mean, I've seen people calling it Gen Z or whatever you want to call. I think Maggot calling them the plurals is fine. But yeah, there's they're they're very different. Just like the Gen X and Gen Z were very uh, Gen Y and Gen X are very different. Boomers different from Gen X. I think you're seeing that. So um, absolutely, there's there's more of a. Um, a, a there's there's just a ton of interesting differences between the two cohorts. Well, we're going to um, take a break now, but when we come back, Jim's going to fill us in a little bit on what he's doing right now and where we can hear him speak and what interesting projects he has under his belt. So more with Jim Louderback and the Tech Cat when we come back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. The key point of contact between consumers and brands is technology. StoryTech, a boutique agency, empowers you to use that tech to deliver your message, engage your customers, and raise the bottom line. How do you track and exploit the trends? How do you stay ahead of industry disruption? And how do you maximize profit from content? From strategy to execution, the answer is StoryTech. Inform. Innovate. Create. Visit us at story-tech.com. That's story-tech.com. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. This is the Tech Cat Show with Lori H. Schwartz. If you want to find out more about our show or to leave a comment or question, send an email to lori at techcat.tv. That's lori at techcat.tv. And we're back with Jim Louderback and having a really great discussion about VidCon, which is the um, annual online video conference that is taking the world by storm. Now, Jim, what are you working on now? Because I know you're independent, but you've got your hands in a lot of interesting places. Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, VidCon is uh, coming up again June, last weekend in June in 2016. So get your tickets now because it will sell out. Um, the, uh, the other thing I've been picking up is I'm, um, I've been helping an online video creation platform called Watch It, W-O-C-H-I-T. Um, as they, this is a company that really started out, they talk about video formats, they started out uh, a cloud-based video editing program that make it really easy to make news videos. So you want to make a sort of traditional news video with a voiceover and, and all that, they let you do it. 
but um, they've been expanding out to support a lot of these different formats that we've been talking about earlier today. So a Facebook format that uses text on top of video without a voice overlay and a lot of other things. So having a lot of fun helping them. Uh, and then um, started working as a, uh, an investor, uh, working for a venture capital fund that does seed investing. So really early. So going out, companies uh, in the media and the mobile and the Internet of Things uh, and, the, and the marketing and, uh, um, and the work platform space, as they're starting out, as they're looking to raise that first 500 to 1,000 to a $1 million dollars, we're, the, we're supporting them. So I'm spending a lot of time talking to entrepreneurs and talking to people who you know, have the potential to do great stuff and are building really cool companies. And so um, I'm having a lot of fun across the board and seeing a lot of stuff, and uh, it's awesome. Well, how do you uh, keep up with all these new companies and these new trends? I mean, what, what are you – I often ask folks what conferences do they go to, what are they reading? Like how do you keep up? Because especially if you're starting to look at new, new companies, you really have to have a sense of the pulse. So how, how are you doing that? Do you sleep? Well, I think yeah, I mean it, it, yeah, no, in part it's I talk to a lot of companies. So the more smart people I talk to, smart entrepreneurs who've identified something really cool and then are going out and building a company to address a need that they see. I mean, I've learned so much just from talking to them. So that's one. I definitely I spent a lot of time, you know, I I I peruse the internet. I listen to shows like this. You know, I, <laughs> I, um, I have my blog roll inside of my uh, RSS reader. Yes, I still use those things. Um, and uh, I attend as many of, you know, events here and there. But it's really, I mean, I think in this day and age with things moving so quickly, you just got to be a sponge. You got to talk to a lot of people. Can't pretend you know what's going on. You got to learn from everybody you meet. And I'm lucky enough to live in um, in between Silicon Valley and San Francisco, so I get an opportunity to meet a lot of really interesting people that are in that sort of startup world. But you got to go beyond that as well. What What are your favorite things to read on a daily, weekly basis? Um, you know, it's a good question. I think uh, um, I'm gonna I I really enjoy. I mean, in, on the online video space, particularly, um, I like Video Inc. Um, I like uh, I like Digiday. Um, and, um, uh, you know, so I look at that, but I also, you know, it's funny. I read, I read the New York times. I read the Boston globe. I read the, the San Francisco Chronicle. It's all digital. So I can just go back and forth. And a lot of times with those guys, it's sports and comic strips, but you know, I do that as well. Um, and then, you know, some of the other sort of great media oriented stuff, I'm just going to go, you know, I, I, I read daily dot, uh, I read tube filter, uh, video ink, video news, Digiday. I think on the tech side, there are a lot of great things on the tech side. Um, I definitely check out Recode and Business Insider and um, TechCrunch and Techno Buffalo, who I do a little bit of writing for here and there. Uh, VentureBeat, Mashable. Um, That's a good list. Anyway, there's there's uh, you know there's a lot of and you know you just looking at what's trending. Um, looking at YouTube daily trends is really interesting as well, and. Um, you know, I subscribe to a lot of stuff. I can't even remember the emails that come through. So, <laughs> so are you you're going onto YouTube and you're looking at what's trending on YouTube? And are you watching those videos as well? Because you you sort of have to be a student of that, I would think. Yeah, I do. And you know, the nice thing about working with the VidCon guys is they know all this stuff much more than I do. Every time I talk to them, I come up with three or four different people that uh, I need to pay attention to. Um, like, oh my God, who was I just looking at? Um, um, I just subscribed. I mean, I find these people on YouTube that these guys tell me about, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I should know about those. Like gamer stuff. Like, like I know CNanners and, and, and those guys, but, you know, I didn't know, you know, and, and Markiplier, of course, but, you know, Cinnamon Toast Ken. I didn't know Cinnamon <laughs> Toast Ken. Um, or Proton John. Uh, you know, there's some of this old schooler stuff that I've missed as well. So there's really interesting it's stuff. A whole- World. Over the place. Yeah, yeah, it's just a whole world. And are you tweeting on a regular basis and writing? Where can folks keep up with uh, with your thinking? You know, I've been I've been tweeting and, and spending a lot of time on um, tweeting and doing Facebook. I'm I'm sort of writing off and on. I write for Techno Buffalo uh, about technology stuff. Social Starts. We have a great blog at Social Starts. I've been writing for them. Um, I'm starting to to dabble with Medium. I'm going to put my first piece on Medium um, next week to see how it does. Uh, I think we're in this really interesting world um, where you know media is changing. I think the the coolest thing is if you go to my blog, 
which is louderback.com, which I haven't really posted a blog post for a while. But because I use um, Rebel Mouse as my front page, it then pulls in my social feeds from Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and, um, and, and everywhere else and puts it together in a really nice way on the front page. So all the media that I do pulls in there, except for Snapchat. I'm also having fun with Snapchat. Um, anywhere you go, um, so this is going to be really old school and it won't make sense to anybody, but in the old days of the computing, uh, eight bits were a big deal. And, uh, and, and um, you wanted to, and so you could only have eight characters in a name. And so uh, early mail systems and early other systems, it was all about the number of characters. So I started using J Louderby, J L O U D E R B, first letter of first name, first seven letters of yeah. my second. <laughs> That's my name everywhere. And you've kept it consistent so everyone can find you. It's always J Louderby. Well, we have to wrap it up on the Tech Cat Show, but it has been a very informative hour with Jim Louderback, who is uh, an expert on all things in online video. And it sounds like now in all things in the startup space as well. And you can find Jim at VidCon come June in 2016 and online um, on his website and in a, in it sounds like a variety of platforms of uh, distilling great thought leadership in this space. So let's have a big Tech Cat hand for Jim. Louderback, the curator. Thanks again, Jim, for joining us on the Tech Cat Show. And we'll see all of you next week for more tech trends impacting your business. Thanks so much for listening to the Tech Cat Show. Please join Lori H. Schwartz again for another great program next Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel and syndicated to the Voice America Women's Channel. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.